0: There's only one form of desire. What that leads to is pathologizing someone that doesn't have that. And then we're putting the label of like, oh, it's a dysfunction or a brokenness or an illness on it. And so... Because you don't look like me. One of us has to be broken
1: because I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so it must be you. Yeah. And that goes both ways. You have the lower desire and drive partner saying that about the higher person sometimes
0: mm-hmm. and that is our inability to manage the difference between us so you think okay I, I need food I need water to to survive right uh-huh. um sex is different it is different which is a little bit of our personal yeah albeit it. spicy take, spicy on, take. Yeah, on this conversation because I need water and food survive. I do not need sex to survive. Yeah, I'll put it out there. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations
1: and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable podcast
0: where curious minds grow.
1: I'm your host Jenna Mountain
0: and I'm your other host Kimberly Galindo. Hey y'all welcome back to our series on falling back in love with your sex life, uh, where we're going to continue to unpack um, the concept map of uh, the continuum of lovemaking. Um, in our first episode, we um, we described the continuum continuum of involvement or lovemaking. We, we abbreviate it to the continuum of lovemaking where we break down the um of purpose of using the continuum as a concept map, um, the different points along the continuum, um, and how to use it. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back because that's really going to be a helpful guide as we um, continue to talk through the different points um, in more depth. And so today we're going to take pity and duty sex which is the zero to one is pity and then two is duty sex along the continuum and talk about those concepts we've given a brief definition of them but we're really gonna start um, talking about um, what that is why it's problematic how, um, to, get how it. to get out of it get out of it and and do a, a deeper dive on those two points along the Continuum. let's do it let's go so again as a reminder um pity um sex is um gosh it's just motivated by lots of guilt and uh, frustration can be a response to pushiness pouting um, punishing pouting punishing um sometimes it's used to avoid conflict you know it's conflict avoidance um neither person's feeling very intimate or connected no leads to lots of resentment um it's not a great time for anyone involved. Um, and then duty sex is, is really that category of obligation. Um, I'm going to meet the need, no real fulfilling pleasure. De- Again, this one doesn't foster intimacy either. No. Um, most folks don't, I Jenna made the note in the last ep- episode that, um, you know, uh, it's not like people go, you know what, let's have duty and pity sex. They don't choose it, right? <laughs> they don't get <laughs> it, like, for that. Let's do that. That's our choice. You find yourself here, and most folks are going, oh, it's not great, but they don't even have words for it. They don't well, like they, it. They find,
1: they find themselves there a lot of the time, in my experience, because they feel like it's the only choice they have. Yeah. You know, so... They are choosing it, but they're choosing it out of a lack of options, which again, this whole series is about expanding your options and expanding your universe. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, yeah, you were, you were introducing duty again. And I thought, you know, the only difference because experientially when I'm working with couples in coaching or therapy or counseling, I honestly find that there's, there's, I, I don't know the fluidity between pity and duty sex get blurred mm-hmm. a lot, but as you were doing a recap on kind of the formal definitions from, from the book, um, I actually think that the difference between pity and duty sex is there is a slight embrace of something that moves duty sex into a slightly better place, which is it's the embrace of the obligation mm-hmm. and the okay. job. Mm-hmm. Whereas pity is, is, I don't know. I, I experience cu- couples that where one of them is offering pity sex to the other, it is, there's a lot of disdain. There's a lot of resentment.
0: Sometimes there's like a
1: disgust. It's a disgust. Yeah. And yeah. It, which is just terrible for everybody. Uh, it ends up, it ends up in most cases, in my opinion, creating a very low or no sex marriage situation. Yeah. But duty sex, I think that duty sex can at times have a higher frequency sexual experience. But that is because, and again, we're talking about the lower, not broken, desire partner um, who experiences less drive towards sex mm-hmm. is, has they've embraced the job. They've embraced the, the, the job of having sex yeah, in, in, in their marriage. And so I guess, you know, experientially, again, this is anecdotally, when I work with couples or what I observe or talk with people, I think it is that they've embraced the job and the duty and the obligation. And so because of that, there is an embrace of something. Yeah. The drive is about checking the box. Um, And that may or may not increase frequency. If it does, I, I honestly, most of the time, I only think it's for a season because as you and I talked about in the last episode, it is wildly unsatisfying for both partners. Even the one, demanding or receiving or whatever you want to call it. Like they eventually they end up going, that is not worth it to me anymore. Most, most times. Yeah. So as you were talking, that's what came up for me. Mm -hmm. I do think it would be helpful because we keep talking about, um, desire and drive differences. Um, kind of that discrepancy that shows up with couples. Maybe we take a, a tiny side trail talk about that for a second, um, so that people can just follow us. You talked about a little bit in the first episode. This is where those things go very poorly. And so I want to do like maybe a little recap or a little bit of deeper, deeper dive in that, um, and help couples follow us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think some, um, terms that can be helpful, um, we have like Spontaneous desire, um, which is often, um, again, there are no always and no, you know, here's the formula, um, because every human being is so different, but uh, oftentimes a more male experience that spontaneous um desire. Some would call it assertive. Assertive, like it shows up on its own. Yeah, it yeah, kind of shows up on its own, um. You know, it's kind of this idea that it's the capacity to want sex in most contexts. Um, yeah,
1: it kind of shows, most people talk about it showing up as like a like a hunger all by itself that kind of shows mm-hmm. up, like our hunger shows up. You and I were just talking about grabbing lunch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. And
1: you're like, my hunger is showing up. I mean, that's how it shows up for someone with more of an assertive or spontaneous Yeah. Um, desire or drive. And so I, most of the time... We see males identifying with that. That doesn't mean females don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and a lot of that's because their beautiful bodies and, and systems are being maintained by testosterone circulating through their system every yep. whatever, depending on or developmental, developmental age. And so testosterone does drive that a lot of the times for men. But again, that doesn't mean that a woman can't have the experience where she is sort of the higher drive, desire, partner, or that she experiences spontaneous or of desire. So that, that is definitely an option on the table, but these partners typically, the people who experience this more often, they typically identify as kind of the, 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 the person who wants sex more in the relationship, the higher drive.
0: Yeah. And again, not bad. It's good. It's an awesome Wonderful. experience. Um, And it's one experience, right? And right, it's one experience. Um, And I think um, you'll you'll find, and and we know this well, like in um, the field of sex therapy, um, sexual health research, that kind of thing. we began to see, and it's only in recent past. I wish you, we could say, like, it was, like, 50 years ago. We know. We've known this for so long. We've known it for so long. We don't. It's so new that the conversation about desire began to be challenged. And the model actually, you know, we get we gave permission to go, okay, so if there's only one form of desire, what that leads to is pathologizing someone that doesn't have that. And then we're putting the label of like, Oh, it's a dysfunction or a yep. brokenness or an illness on it. And so you
1: don't look like me. One of us has to be broken because I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so it must be you. Yeah. And that goes both ways. You have the lower desire and drive partner saying that about the higher person sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that is
0: our inability to manage the difference between us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but same, sameness is being taught as the standard when it's like, uh, I don't, I mean, in any other area of our life are we, no. you know, and so like desire, I, I think, and I know one of the most complex points along the sexual response cycle Pretty sure there needs to be some nuance. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Desire to understand it um, for those who have researched and spent time doing that, and we've been exposed to some of that research and studies in our training. It is so complex that researchers end up in different places than they originally intended <laughs> because it's like we couldn't slice this up in the human experience
0: if we wanted to.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about responsive desire.
0: And so the this idea was introduced that like, oh, maybe there's a different, a word. different way that our want shows up. Yeah, but it's still want, and we would uh-huh. call that responsive desire. Uh-huh. Very based on context. Very context is key. Um, if you read uh, Dr. Emily Nagotsky's book, "Come as You Are," she talks. Please a whole, read. Please read it. It's this such book. a good book. Very based in a lot of. Really superb um, sexual health research, and she's just fantastic. Um, all of her work is. Um, she talks about context is key, um, mm-hmm. and so um, you know those contextual experience. And when we say context, we mean you know what's going on in the space and the relationship, the individuals life, I like mean, every part of the process, which tends to be again hard and
1: fast rules. Mm-hmm. Tends
0: to be. Females, because we can be and we are very contextual in so many parts of our lives, um, and our context matters, and so that influences desire. Yep, and um, very often it tends to be the re- the responsive desire tends to be a more female. A version of desire or a more commonly experienced form of desire by females. Yeah. A lot of females will, you know, describe it that way. Yeah. That it's, I'm responding to my context, responding to this other mm-hmm. person. Um, context being a lot of things.
1: Mm-hmm. Context being the relationship, life in general, and then her own internal world, like how she feels about herself. Yeah. Uh, females are very contextual and I don't think, Culture, media, porn—we could make a big list. Teaches an embrace of that. It, it almost teaches. I think at times they almost treat it like a handicap or pathologize it. That like the fact that you can't just focus on sex when it's time to have sex and all these things distract you, like that makes you broken. Mm-hmm. And so, um, helping women find some health in that is is something we do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you've deep deep dove on some of. Uh, Dr. Nagoski's work about how she challenges the word drive. Now, I was flipping it back and forth in the beginning because that's the language that we hear in culture. Oh, yeah. But let's unpack kind of her pushback on why that can be, I don't know, her, her proposal is it can be a little bit problematic.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think just because, again, the conversation tends to lack nuance, and I think she would um, talk about that. Um, drive, so one of the examples, again, we're back to food. Uh-huh. <laughs> um one of the examples is hunger, um, and a lot of times, one it's how scientists have referred to our um, sexual, our sexual desire, mm-hmm. uh, motivation, I, like direct the direction that kind of thing for so long. Um, but but what she would say is when you hear the word drive, you think survive, so our survival mechanisms, right? And I like where she's going
1: because I'm telling you that the problems that we experience. On this continuum, I think they have a lot to do with scarcity mentality. So, when she uses that word survive, I'm like,
0: yes and amen. Yeah. because So, you think, okay, I, I need food. I need water to to survive, right? Uh-huh. Um, sex is different. It is different. Which is a little bit of our personal, yeah, albeit spicy take, spicy on, take. Yeah. on this conversation because I need... Water and food to survive. I do not need sex to survive. Yeah. I'll
1: put it out there. Yeah. And it's where I push back on. And I even think there's some really well-intended authors. But when they start writing what they have always heard, which is sexual needs. I'm like, it is it is the... I don't know. It's almost like a perpetuation of an unhelpful belief Mm -hmm. in... And I, I, again, I think some people are really, I think some people are really hell bent on pushing that idea. And I think some people actually are not because I like know these authors and I will see needs show up in their book. I'm like, you don't teach like that. I just don't even think we know the words that are coming out of our mouth. I don't even think we catch where we're perpetuating unhelpful ideas, Mm -hmm. but you and I push back a lot on teaching and presenting sex as a need.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, you know, isn't just a, um, you know, happened upon pushback to what we hear in a lot of other, um, spaces in the sex therapy, sexual health world. Um,
1: I have not
0: seen it play out well with anyone I've worked with.
1: And I will say this too. There is, um... Again, this is anecdotal because I have not taken the time to maybe go look up the research on this, but, um, maybe it's out there. Learning is a forever process, guys. Get used to saying, I don't know. Um, but my experience of what shows up in my office a lot is that because in 80% of couples, the male is the higher desire partner. Um, and the woman identifies as the lower desire partner, which y'all 20%, that's a significant number research wise. So it's not, it's not abnormal if, if you happen to be in a relationship where the woman is the higher desire partner, but it is typically the higher desire partners that describe it as a need. Mm -hmm. And because it's a need, you will find that that invites the language of obligation and duty by the lower desire partner, because they don't feel it as a need. It doesn't mean, and that doesn't even mean they don't like it. Mm -hmm. They're just like, if it never happened, I wouldn't die. And I am looking at both of them going, that's the accurate statement. (laughs) Like you would, you know, it's not like food and water and oxygen and air. Like that's yeah. So her pushback on that has been really valuable. I think,
0: I think so too. So she proposes, um, and I, I like her her words, um, sex is a, an incentive motivation system. Yeah. Um, and that we're, and this is her quote, but pulled by an attractive external stimulus. It's invitational. It's invitational. Her language we're is like so pulled invitational. Pulled in by something. And so she, she pushes on, you know, think drive, survive think incentive, think thrive. And I think when we use the word desire, it is more
1: helpful when you think about being incentivized and thriving and flourishing and leaning into that a little bit.
0: Absolutely. So we have desire. We have one, there are variations within desire. We have spontaneous, we have responsive. Yeah. We got
1: to create that responsive category. We'll we'll deep dive into it. And then
0: we'll think about incentive as, as both thriving in that, you know, I think, gosh, what a, what a better model. And in turn, if we, if we're going to go back to talking about pity and duty sex, the cycle plays out to, if we go, I need it to survive. It's like drinking water. If I don't have it, I will perish <laughs> Then, yeah, I think we're going to end up at this point in the continuum. And I've yet to hear a report that people enjoy the duty pity sex. You, you know, know? So,
1: what's really interesting is when I work with couples and we can get them out of that and we can really, again, it's not just about bodies clapping together. We can get them very intimately connected on all other fronts, which enhances the physical manifestation of that experience. It's so interesting talking to the higher desire partners. And it's, I I wish I could describe their faces in those sessions. When they look at you in this, like the countenance on their face has changed. It's been life changing for them. And they go, I am so much more satisfied. Mm -hmm. And we really haven't in some cases changed the frequency at all. And they know that and they will spend an entire session celebrating and reporting and affirming that it was the quality of the sex mm-hmm. that has made a bigger difference than the quantity of the sex. Yeah. But we had to get to these places.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, let's talk about responsive desire because I think our people need a category for it.
0: So... Responsive desire or, Dr. Nogotsky would say, a context-sensitive desire. Again, back to context. I love her words, which is why I'm just going to cite the heck out of her. Um, And she says that women need more of a reason to have sex than folks with spontaneous styles do.
1: And let's just add one of my favorite quotes from one of our mentors, which was, It may not be that she doesn't want sex. It may be that she doesn't want the sex she's being offered. Yeah, and I think this very much yeah. so agrees with Doctor Emily. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so, and so which pity and duty sex would definitely not be that sex.
0: Yeah, for sure. So if we can one, let's add a a, a different <laughs> type of desire. Let's focus on what that is, which is responsive, very contextual understanding. Then, well, what would it be like to change the context?
1: Part of the context that I think is really important um, that we have in the notes here is an idea that Rosemary Basson mm. introduced, which is the timing in which that shows up. Because I could see a lot of people going, okay, I receive your gentle rebuke, Kimberly and Jenna. I'm going to change the context. I'm going to quit demanding this. I mean, praise Jesus for everybody who will have a heart change because information changes them. I love it. And they're going to start doing this dance where they're trying to get these responsive people to start responding in the wrong timing. Yeah. And I like that Rosemary Basson and her work and research said, hey, for a lot of women, it's actually like, I don't know, five to ten minutes into the process that the desire might show up.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: mind boggling for most of the people that I work with Mm -hmm. and actually because they don't have a category and a permission for that to be healthy and common and not broken. They never get to having sex because they keep waiting for her arousal to show or her her arousal and her desire to show up way too early. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, it's not showing up yet. And I'm like, I guess we're not going to do it. And again, now, now you have a whole nother reason why we have kind of low sex, no sex marriages because it's like, well, if I'm not feeling that, assertive, spontaneous desire um, or arousal before we ever get started. You got to turn me on before we ever get started. (laughs) I'm like, y'all, this is not how us ladies work. A lot of us. I mean, and here's the thing. Even if you find yourself being more of that responsive and receptive um, kind of sexual personality, hey, that's okay. You can still actually have the other every once in a while. It's really interesting when it shows up. Um, as you said earlier, vacation.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's going right. to be where that shows up. That was a fun contest. Um But you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: a lot of people have these really unrealistic expectations, even in these really sweet connected marriages. Oh, yeah. Where it's not high conflict and volatile and all the things. It's just like, it just... Yeah, so Rosemary Bassan describes this receptive, responsive desire that actually shows up into the process. And, and I would actually add to that, like, arousal builds in that way, too. And so one of the key things that we invite, teach, coach for is, hey, could you start in neutral? Are you just willing and open?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that would be really powerful.
0: And it's at that point. That I start hearing the cultural myths get really loud because oh, it's yeah. like, well, then my meaning making is that neutral, and then you know, insert some sort of I often shame based, either shaming to the other or shame, like if 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 she and we we'll, we'll just use a, a more commonly held experience, like if she is in neutral. She doesn't desire me. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I should be this powerful context in and of my single human beingness. I should be able to
1: prance naked across the room and she should want to rip my, you know, just ravish me. And I'm going, I'm sorry, that probably came from a porn movie. True. (laughs) That's not what's going to happen. I. In the really... Harder relational contexts. Um, I've seen the demand show back up when we teach this. Like, mm-hmm. hey, can you start neutral? And it's like, no, I will not settle for this. And I'm like, wow, that's arousing. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> in the more sweeter, kinder relational context, uh, to your point, I've, I've seen. Uh, and again, because the 80 20 where she's typically like the lower desire and he's higher because of what culture has taught inappropriately. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He shame spirals. He can have a shame spiral and he's not angry or demanding, but like he's having a really hard time finding a new space inside of himself. Mm -hmm. And, Again, either of those, I think, maintains pity and duty sex because it's him. I mean, it could be either party, but in this, you know, last example, he's not receiving the other, he's not open to receiving the other option, which would bump people up into nurturing, which we're going to talk about in the next episode fuller. But does that make sense? Like, and then, you know, you and I being brilliant practitioners of what we do. When we go after that and go, hey, you have a negative belief about yourself that actually is a contributing factor. And we start focusing on the higher desire partner, but not the fact that they're higher. We just start focusing on, like, these unhelpful, maladaptive beliefs that are kind of contributing to that. And it's like, no, no, the lower person's the broken person. Why are you looking at me and talking to me? I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I mean, I'm, you know, that's... It's, it's uncomfortable when we start going, well, this other way of thinking about it is actually going to reveal something about you that might need some work. And it's not always this lower, lower desire partner is this broken. They're, they're normally the identity, what, you know, in counseling called the identify patient or the broken person. And they're carrying all the shame and brokenness. And we start going, uh, how about we share?
0: And <laughs> let's look at where the your shame is all. driving this. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. And whether it's a disappearing act because of, you know, this new revelation or demand and we say they get big, it starts to show up. I think shame is the root of shame and blame. All of it. And I, and I think, um, and that, that typically is just a point along the way where we have to pause for a minute and just go, hey, shame's loud, you know. And either it makes us loud, or it's so loud that we disappear, but as a very common response um, yeah, to this revelation that there are new ways of thinking about desire, and they have a lot of value and power and beauty and complexity and really can be a gift to yep. you even if you're in a different place, but it's there's a lot of work before we can get there, I
1: yeah, and I think the common challenges that we see um, as we try to, like, invite people out of this, they are the things that, that again, maintain uh, at least duty sex. We're yeah. just going to have to do it because it's supposed to happen, or I'm supposed to do it, or she's supposed to get it, or I... Again, I don't know how you can use the word duty sex and tell us that it's not great. But then I, again, there's a lot of people out there teaching that sex is owed. And I'm like, if you, and we work with a lot of couples where one is one or both are walking in saying, Hey, it's, it's a marital obligation. And I'm going, I hear that. And I am in my probably forever ongoing learning process on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I just, I'm going to struggle with, That playing out well, if you play out the logic on on sexual obligations based on the law, based on theology, based on anything, then the natural result is duty sex. It has to move out of an obligation. I don't think nurturing sex holds that. I just don't. Mm -mm. I also really struggle with... um, sex being an obligation from a trauma-informed perspective. I have not been able to reconcile those two. Mm -mm. Not well. And I've heard some people really try and actually get pretty close. And then I'm like, but what about this piece? I just, I can't, a really hard time getting there. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, I'm going to go back to a comment I made in the beginning. I wonder if we kind of leave it at that. Almost even the people who kind of teach it really well. I, I wonder if we leave it in that, Almost good, okay, but it still has some holes in it place. One, because we're human. I think on this side of eternity, we're not going to get total understanding. It's all of us trying to grow Mm -hmm. and learn ongoingly. But I think sometimes we are just resigned to our own unnamed, unaware experience of a scarcity mentality that allows us to still embrace that concept. I, I think about all those things and like it goes back to a scarcity mentality to me. I do not. And, and then from a faith perspective, I do not trust God to provide my sustenance. I do not trust the situation to get better. There is never going to be enough. I am not going to get my needs met. I mean, I it, it pretty much tracks back to that for me a lot when I watch it play out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not. That's not... That's not health.
0: Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. And what a terrible purpose of sex. You know?
1: It just... I can't... I can't play out a logic where it doesn't ruin sex.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And I'll say this, too. I have... You know, some of the better arguments for sex being an obligation or owed and, and tried to have that presented in a healthy way because there's some good ones out there. I mean, I've sat, I've sat and listened and Mm -hmm. really considered where I struggle is there's a little bit of a notion either said or unsaid or implied kind of in there where it's like, well, you knew what you were doing when you got married, you know, you chose this. I'm sorry. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with. They're like, this is not the person I married. I'm like, well, I hope they've changed. (laughs) <laughs> since they said something to you at an altar 10 years ago. And I hope you have too. Yeah. So we're talking about a commitment that was made. One of my favorite quotes from my own mother, who I, I just like, it's just so, it's just so great. She's like, we do as much as we can with as much as we have in any given moment. And I think when we take those vows, we're doing as much as we can with as much as we, we have the best of intentions, but you and I know, as coaches and mental health professionals that our awareness of ourself and, and what we even, I mean, on some big scale and little scale stuff, like we don't know what is coming our way. Our spouses don't know what's coming their way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't know what our development, we have no crystal ball for our development. And so this idea is like, well, you knew what you committed to. And I was like, with as much as you had, you did as much as you could. Like, I just think that it,
0: that's where the logic falls short for me on that. Yeah. And it's interesting that we do it with marriage and specifically sex, but lots of areas. So, I mean, we do it with a lot of areas, but like, I it just, it's so profoundly loud in this one that it's just like, you knew. And This is what it is. You knew what you signed
1: up for. So you shouldn't have feelings or changes or...
0: It just doesn't allow for uh, humanness or adult development. Adult development or context or... Nope. None of those things.
1: Yeah. And please hear me. This is where people are like, I will never go to her for sex therapy. <laughs> <laughs> They're not helping people have sex. They're telling people to stop having sex. That's what I'm saying. Oh No. no. Um you know but what fires together wires together in the brain I'm sorry if you're going to call it an obligation what you're going to get is duty sex I think we could I think actually in a in a bit of a vacuum everybody would agree that that's not going to be great I, I think you'd find very few people who would be like duty sex sounds fantastic I'll take that Um and so it's the natural outcome but it's what people resort to because they don't believe in better And when we try to help them walk through this deep unlearning process, all because of scarcity mentality, all they hear is, oh, they're saying do less, do less, do less. But what we're we're doing is seeing these holistic human beings going, you are wiring together all this that you told me are problematic with your sexual experience of this person who you are telling me you want this to be your person. The only person you do this with, you want this to be the best experience with them, but you keep insisting on wiring together in your nervous system and your body and your neural network, this negative negative experience with this thing that you want to be great. So yes, we, we say stop, 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 stop a lot before we say go. Mm hmm. And it is that—mentioned this in the last episode—it's that pruning process that is wildly painful, and I can hold space for that. But the pain is not an indicator that you should not walk this road. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, I think uh, I think we're great with sanctification being a part of every other part of our life, but our sex life. You know, and like that. Yeah, that we like to isolate that. And our, to and our development process and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, just because it hurts or it feels really dissonant for a minute because it's not what you've held in your belief system or experience before. Yeah, it does not mean it is bad. Um, it is for sure uncomfortable, and I will validate that. I, yeah. think. I mean, pruning always is. And I'll go back to, I think it's this idea that, oh gosh, what are they, they just keep taking things away, Mm -hmm. keep taking things away. And in some ways I would say, yes, I I would like to take away your duty and pity sex experiences. Forever.
1: You have said you don't enjoy (laughs) it. You said you you would like me to take these away. Uh But you are, oh, that's, that's a really profound moment in the process when I'm like, you said you didn't want this. And they all but say...
0: But it's all that I have. I mean the scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have all the I'd duty pity sex in the world because it's all I've got is I'm going to lose everything. Because it's the only thing I know how to
1: control for. Ooh. It's a position of control mm-hmm. to say I have to maintain this card and be able to play it because I don't trust healing God, my spouse, this process, you crazy counselors and coaches, I don't trust any of that. So I'm going to maintain this one piece of control. And as long as that there, that's there, in my opinion, it's a drop of vinegar and a gallon of milk. Whole thing's, whole thing's ruined. And that, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying to be a realist. That is what plays out in front of me in most cases when people ask my opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can continue to hold on to a belief system, but I have yet to see. see, And, again, words matter. We did a whole episode on it, y'all. If you insist on calling it obligation, duty, um, need, even... Then what, what you get in return to that, I won't even call it an invitation, but a demand is this first category of sex and you've got to be, the first step is you got to be willing to, to name what you're doing and I, everyone's able to name one. I know where I want to go. I want something to be better in my experience. But where I find it gets stuck is they're not willing to, to let go of this belief system because, mm-hmm. again, it, it is so, so scary because it's, I'm going to lose everything because it's all I have. Um, you know, I think we've kind of
1: stepped into it. It's something that we know, but, like, it's always nice to talk, shop, and dialogue, which is a little bit what we're doing here. It's a vulnerable place to let go of the obligation for someone who is starving and not genuine. I mean, we're, we're holding space for the higher desire partner.
0: They're starving and
1: not satisfied. And that felt desire is so big and so real and so thwarted Mm -hmm. that it is terrifying to let go of control and be truly in a vulnerable place. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about that along with, differentiation so much on the, on the previous episodes of the podcast and I think um, the healthiest of, of relationships, marriage included are are in a posture of vulnerability which is I will validate scary.
1: It's supposed to be. It's at the moment of vulnerability that you can you either need to determine that this is safe or not safe. And lean into intimacy or take off and go protect yourself. But being in control is is not the way you ensure that
0: you have safety. Mm-hmm. Control is a terrible context to respond to. So if we yeah. look at the higher desire... Controlling for the
1: other person, I should right. clarify.
0: Yeah. If there's this control that's, you know, happening... Respond. I mean, I don't. I don't know how you respond to that, other than duty. Okay. It's my duty.
1: So it's the embrace of the obligation at that point. It's not the embrace of the other person, which is where the intimacy is. Mm-hmm. A heavier episode. We know. I know. We know. But we're starting on like truly the lower end of the spectrum, uh, the continuum, the things that we we do not want. We don't want these for you guys.
0: We don't. We want better for you. And we we have. We're going to talk about better. Yeah. Next episode's like my low key favorite. Oh yeah. I like. No, come on, come back. Don't don't leave us. Don't give up. This is good news this, coming. This is such good news coming. You're going to love it, and you if you embrace it, which I know you will. You're gonna love. We your believe sex in life. you. You're gonna love your sex life. Yeah.
1: Okay, ma'am. What was your takeaway? This conversation,
0: um, how much so many things come back to you know, vulnerability and our shame and our inability to hold space well for ourselves and the other person in front of us, and it's so true even for our sex life. Um, so, I think. You know, you and I get picked on a lot for when we go to those spaces where we talk about vulnerability, or we talk about communication, or you know, some other mm-hmm. thing that's not as sexy time related. Mm-hmm. How does it uh, attach? And I think, gosh, that our posture matters and the posture of vulnerability with ourselves and with the, the other person um, is so important. Yeah. What's your takeaway?
1: I think. I think my takeaway is that I mean, I've been, I've been just in my own, my own personal recent adult development processes and kind of commitment to learning and all of that. Like, uh, it just really does keep coming back to scarcity every time I have this conversation. I mean, and this is the work I do. I feel appropriately challenged to hold space for everyone. And I think, I think when we can see scarcity mm-hmm. playing out, it actually helps us hold space for uh, typically that higher desire partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if that's helpful. Um, we didn't use these words um, in the, in the bulk of the episode, but I, I do find that, all of the pitfalls that you and I sort of named throughout this particular kind of area on the continuum. If we're not actively working against them and walking out of them, I think when we give into them, the natural outcome is we dehumanize our spouse. Oh yeah. You know, and I, I love all the language about like humanize, you know, keeping, keeping the human in front of us in, in view. And I, I really do. I think if we are not actively working against these pitfalls, when our differences that are normal and healthy show up, one of the, I mean, again, if we give into the pitfalls, I think the natural outcome is that we dehumanize our spouse. And that is why it's so corrosive. And so I hope, I hope everybody's realizing that because I, I, it's, it's, it is not an uncommon thing to be holding on tight in this, in this, uh, experience on the continuum. So yeah, good news coming guys. We'll unpack the better options starting next week.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited.
1: Thank you for joining us arable podcast is hosted by jenna mountain and kimberly galindo and edited and co-produced by chris vargas and
0: hosted on podbean
1: you can find us on apple podcast and spotify
0: visit our website arablepodcast.com and find arable podcast on instagram or facebook you can also find both of us on facebook you can find me kimberly galindo on instagram at the kimberly galindo and me jenna mountain on
1: instagram at the jenna mountain